I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to the snack episode. Hello. Today, Dr. Agnew is joining us again. Yay. And she is going to talk to us about organizational veterinary medicine. The nerdiest thing ever. That's right. She's <laughs> going to talk to us about how important it is to be involved with organized veterinary medicine and how you can become involved because she is the the leader of all of the things. <laughs> I mean, literally. <laughs> so, Dr. Agnew, I will say right off the bat that I am not a strong participant or a participant at all in organized veterinary medicine for a very long time uh, for a number of reasons. Okay. I maybe do feel slightly guilty about it, but at the same time I'm exhausted and don't want to have to do anything extra. Uh, anyway. Okay. Here we go. So let's talk about what organized veterinary medicine is and the purpose. The overall purpose is to govern ourselves and to advocate for veterinarians in the broader world. And in that advocacy, what sorts of benefits can we see from that? A lot of that feels very invisible, mostly because I think that there's a lot of things that we're advocating for ourselves where it's, hey, how do we keep something that is going to be onerous on our practice from happening. So you never see something that doesn't happen. But what that looks like is that there's advocating for veterinarians to the public, kind of having a united front that I won't say advertises, but that kind of shares big veterinary information on social media platforms, et cetera. But also I think the bigger thing is advocating for veterinarians within kind of the political sphere. So in state houses and um, on Capitol Hill with legislatures. So basically there's going to be laws that, that, that govern how veterinarians practice. And it can be little things um, that you don't think about. Uh, It can be things that like how we record controlled substances it can be things of how how animals are transported across state or state lines or across n- national lines. Um, but all of those things are decisions that are made by legislatures that have no veterinary background. And so somebody somebody needs to be there that that is paying attention to this legislation and um, making sure that it is going to adequately serve the profession and adequately serve consumers in the way that it's meant to. And I say consumers kind of as a general way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it sounds like then that the really the purpose of organized veterinary medicine is, well, to sort of lobby to make sure that legislators without any sort of medical background aren't making decisions that are like, what the crap, why would you ever think that that was a good idea? Am I on the right track there? It's what I would consider the most important purpose. I don't think it's the only purpose. Okay. But it is something that until I got very involved in the state association, I did not realize that we we paid a full-time 
lobbyist. Hmm. That that person's job is not only to to do the like the shaking of hands and things like that, but it also to look at every single bill that is introduced into committees and if it affects veterinary medicine to let the association know that, hey, this bill is being introduced and it is going to affect veterinary medicine, you know, this is kind of the uh, translating it from the legalese into something that veterinary, you know, th- that we can understand what they're trying to do and then help us to make sure that it is something that is going to make sense. And if it is going to make sense, then 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 signing, you know, having us say like, yes, we advocate for this. And if it's something that's not going to make sense, having us as a profession talk to the legislatures and say, hey, we see what you're trying to do here, but this is what you're actually going to be doing. In the notes for this episode, you included one specific quote that I definitely want to touch on. Yeah. So um, somewhere I heard the phrase that if you're not at the table, you might be on the menu. (laughs) And I strongly believe that in kind of every aspect of life in community. Um, And I think that within within politics, and I know you said we don't we don't talk about politics here. We try and stay away from that. But but within politics, that if you're if you're not if you're not there, if you're not being represented, 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 then other people are going to be there and they're going to make decisions. And you may not like what those decisions are. And, and so you're not at the table. So they might be eating you for lunch. Yeah, I definitely think that that's, you know, that that's an interesting way to look at it. And um, one that's, you know, maybe pretty motivating to me, like, oh, crap, I really need to I really don't like getting get involved in this, you know. <laughs> so I think maybe one potential issue um, that we need to talk about, because it can be confusing about who is who, you know, like who are the professional organizations, who are the legal organizations, how do laws get passed in an area, you know, that kind of thing. So let's, since we're in Alabama, let's talk about Alabama. So okay, in Alabama... There is the Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners, which is different from, like, the Alabama Legislative Committee. Yeah. And that's kind of the legal side. And then on the association side, you've got the Alabama Veterinary Medical Association, and then you've got, like, your local association for, in our instance, it would be Madison County VMA. So can you kind of talk about what are the differences between those organizations and sort of, like, just give an over, overview of what each of them does? Yes, I will give you the schoolhouse rock version as well as I Great. can. <laughs> so basically, the the big one that every state is going to have is they're going to have their board of veterinary medical examiners. And that board of medical veterinary medical examiners is going to include some number of veterinarians. I think in Alabama, it also includes a licensed veterinary technician, um, and then it includes at least one layperson. And that that board is appointed by the governor. And that board is in charge of enforcing the Practice Act, which basically I think of as the, probably the best way to think of it is as consumer protection. So they're the ones that that give you your license. So you have to prove to them that you have 
graduated from a veterinary school, you have to have passed your boards. Uh, depending on the state, you have to have passed some tests that the state has um, that says that you've read the Practice Act, um, for example. And then they say, okay, you have met all of these requirements. You can now have a license. And they're in charge of providing that license and then saying to the consumers of veterinary medicine in the state that if you have one of these licenses, if somebody has one of these licenses, they're a veterinarian. You can trust them to do veterinary things. And then they also do that for the facilities as well. So if you you have if you own a small animal private practice, for example, you have to meet a certain number of requirements and have certain types of equipment. And then they will say, OK, you you get this thing. So basically their job is to administer the licenses and then protect the licenses so that they're meaningful. Um, and so that they're appointed by the, the board. And then on the other side, you have the association who is really more the advocacy side for the vets. So the board, the board of medica, medical examiners advocates for consumers. They protect consumers and discipline the field to protect consumers and then the association advocates for veterinarians. And so at the state level, there's basically veterinarians from all over the state that represent the different local associations that um, they will actually be the people that help to nominate and vet people for the medical examiner's board to send to the governor. And then she picks somebody from that list or he, if there's a male governor, but she so so there's people that do that. And then there are people that kind of keep track of things that are going on in the veterinary world. You know, within the association, there is also different subgroups. So there is a group that focuses on wellness and uh, for people that are having potentially substance abuse issues that is impacting their ability to work or other types of issues that are impacting their ability to work. There's a group that focuses on that. There is a group that focuses on legislation that I kind of talked about a little bit before, and I'm in that group. Uh, there's groups that focus on public health uh, within the state. There's also groups that I honestly don't know as much about as I would would like. Um, so th that's kind of the state. And then the state has people that are representatives from each of the local associations and the local associations to have a voice on the state board, you have to be a, the local association has to be a certain amount of active. Um, you have to meet a certain number of times a year. You have to have a certain number of members of the local association that are also members of the um, the state association. So, the, yeah. So the I didn't local know that. I thought they were separate. No, yeah, so they they are, but they we have like a voice on the the board and to have that voice on the board you have to be an active local association. So it mm. basically means so if I am the only person that lives in Madison County that's a vet and I'm like I'm the Madison County VMA, I don't just get to like nominate myself to the board and like be the only person if that makes sense. Mm. That is yeah. representing this the, the entire county. I'm still discovering all of the ways that the local association is helpful. I think that the the obvious thing that our local association does is provides continuing education six times a year 
for veterinarians to go. And basically, most of the time, it is continuing education that is provided for by a company that is selling a product and they're going to have the continuing education be about that product um, and the use of it. Um, Not always, but a lot of times. Um, And with that continuing education, you also are going to get dinner that's provided by that company, um, which is really nice. I think that the the intangible things, so that's that, that's the obvious thing for the local association, but there's non-obvious things. The more I'm becoming involved, the more I'm becoming aware of. And I think that one of those things is having a place to meet other veterinarians that live in your area um, and forming bonds with them. And I think that a lot of times we think about, oh, well, these are our business rivals. and on some extent that is true, but I think that the, in a lot of ways it's, you're also, uh, you can help each other in a lot of ways and that having those, those, those bonds and forming those bonds within the, the local association is important. I know that a lot of times the, the veterinarians in a, um, an area may have to borrow a medicine that they ran out of and it's Friday afternoon and they haven't they they haven't ordered it or it hasn't come in because there's been a shipping issue. Um, and so they'll they, they have, having the ability to call up a clinic that you have met and have, you know, formed a relationship within this association, I think is really important. The businessy term being networking, and I don't think it has to be that like, oh, we're we're networking so that we can, you know, do better in a financial sense, but just networking where you have other colleagues that you form this relationship with that you can you can lean on um, when times are tough. Um, and then I think something that's really come up in the past year for me is that even locally, there's ways that the association can advocate for each other and and make sure that everybody gets the information they need with the coronavirus vaccines, the Availability now is 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 quite good, but in in the beginning of 2021, um, not only was the availability sparse, but it was there was a lot of confusion both within the state and within the county as to where veterinarians fell in the CDC guidelines of when they should be vaccinated. And um, for me, as my place uh, being on the state board, it was really important to me that that people within the association were kept up to date on what was being said at the state level, but also what was happening in the, at the county level as to where, you know, where they could get vaccinated, when vaccines were available and and things of that nature. And so, you know, it, basically I became a point person for that, that public health emergency in that point in time to make sure that veterinarians got all the information they needed. And I definitely see a place for local associations to be that point for veterinarians to turn to if there is a something like that going on that they need information for. Yeah, definitely. Because you were instrumental in helping me find a place to get vaccinated. And I was very appreciative of that. Me too. Mm. Me too. I filled out a form Dr. Agnew sent me and then they were like, do you want to get vaccinated? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> Here's my arm. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I was laughing uh, when you mentioned like networking and, me- and the option to meet other people is that on a podcast called Introverts, you know, a lot of our um, <laughs> a lot of our listenership are are introverts. 
And so to them, that might be a terrifying thing, you know, not necessarily (laughs) in the bonus column, but in the drawback (laughs) column. You know, and I'm I'm being a little a, a little tongue in cheek about that. Okay, it's not that introverts hate people or meeting people. It's just that I hate people. Introverts are drained by meeting people. That that's mm-hmm. the issue. And so, I will say that. Um, well, we'll just let's just use me as an example, Doctor Agnew. Yeah. So I have I have not been as active in um, in organized veterinary medicine as one would hope that I would have been right and i'll say that uh early in my career i also had some just straight up bad experiences in organized veterinary medicine and i'm one of those people uh especially in my younger years i don't know how i would have reacted now right now i probably would have been like fuck all y'all but um Mm -hmm. in my younger years i was very much a person who when i would you know encounter a situation where it was clear that i did not fit in i would just be like well, I'm just going to not come back to this. Bye. You know, and and I'll go ahead and just go out on a live and give the specific example. The The main issue that I ran into with the local association that actually caused me to step away and I haven't then ever stepped back was actually a period of time where in the state of Alabama, uh, both the both the, the Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners and the at least the Madison County Local Association was very strongly going after the license of one of my good friends and colleagues who was the spay-neuter clinic veterinarian in Birmingham. And at that time, every single time I would try to go to a local association meeting and just have like a nice, quiet, just normal CE dinner, this topic would always come up. And you know, I spent a few times kind of standing up and saying my piece of like, you know, I really think that this is a bad look for the profession for you guys to oppose this. And, you know, I I think that the person that you guys are attacking is actually a very good vet. I know her personally, you know, and all of these things. And I really think that this is misguided. And I was finally, I was just like, all right, I'm done with this. And I really haven't been back. So what sort of like, (laughs) what sort of advice would you give for people that have maybe had bad experiences in the past or are very introverted or very like, ugh, you know, like I'm coming into this. I feel like it's going to be an old boys club. I feel like the people that are in the association are definitely going to be polar opposite from my political views, you know, and things like that. And and they're just kind of viewing it as like one more thing that I have to flip and do, you know, when I'm tired and everything else. Like what sort of advice do you have for people to try to kind of get over that hump and tough it out and say, like, I know this is uncomfortable, but it's worth it? I definitely understand that because my political views don't match most of the people that I'm around. And I would tell people that you, you can, it's OK to lean into that a little bit. I, I go back to if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah. I am adamant about that. And I'm also adamant about that fact that you're not the only person that feels the way that you do, but you may be the only person that feels the way that you do that shows up. Or that's willing to speak up. Because I will say, yes, no one else spoke up for me, but privately afterwards, several other vets came to me and were like, I'm so glad you said something. And I wanted to be like, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. But like, where were you when I was getting booed down at the meeting? Like, <laughs> that would have yeah. been super helpful for you to stand up for me then. But anyway, so no, sorry, go ahead. And and I definitely understand. I think so. I I was involved in a um, before I was involved in the local association. I was involved in a statewide uh, program with for young vets that I was the chair of, and. So I had to present at every single meeting and um, there was a meeting that I presented at that I was very excited about everything that we'd gone on, gone over and the the strides that we were making. And there was there was another person that that got up after me and admonished me in the middle of the meeting in front of 40 of my colleagues that were all older and, you know, much more, you know, established within the veterinary community than I was. And. I've had a really unpleasant experience and I definitely ran into the bathroom and cried after that after in uh-huh. a way that I was able to kind of fix my face for long enough so it looked like I was going to the bathroom to pee and then I could <laughs> go in there and cry versus just running into the bathroom immediately after and crying. But I was I, I was blessed enough that I did have people stick up for me. And it was somebody, the the person that, that stuck up for me and said, you know, in front of everybody, you know, Hey, what the way that you admonished her was wrong was somebody that I have nothing in common with. We have incredibly different political views. We have incredibly different views on the world. We, we practice veterinary medicine in a completely different way, but you know, the, the level of respect that I have for that man is, is, is paramount because he, he said those things for me in that way. And I think that it is really what what that taught me and what I, I would say to people is that our assumptions about the way people are and that it's going to be this old boys club and that they're all going to be, you know, they're not going to invite me in. I think that assumption is 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 wrong. I think that there are a lot of older men that are veterinarians and have been and they've been involved and things like this that like they really actually want younger vets to get involved they're just real bad at figuring out how to have that happen but once somebody like comes in and is like hey like what do you want me to do and it does take i think to start with i think it it is easier when it's somebody that is extroverted and is excited you know is excited to be in those things i think that is easier for me and i admit that you know um but i think that there are i think that understanding that a lot of these older vets like they freaking love this profession and they've been doing organized veterinary medicine in a volunteer capacity for 30 or 40 or 50 years they they don't want it to go away they want a legacy they're just Not always, you know, like some of them aren't the best about understanding the transitions. And I think that if we if we the younger people go in and know like, hey, they're they're not going to get where I'm coming from, but I'm going to keep telling them where I'm coming from that we can make, you know, like we can make a positive influence and that that positive influence, they're looking for that. They're just not good at it yet and it's okay so i guess you know the 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 tldr is that um sorry the too long didn't read it's shorthand (laughs) um is um (laughs) somebody spent a lot of time on the internet when they were younger stay Um, off of reddit (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) uh so is the the shorthand is that you're probably more welcome than you think you are and that 
you know, that just because people aren't like quite ready for the next generation that they still want it. And then I think the last thing is, is that one of the things that I've made the conscious decision of is that even though this is tiring and hard for me, that I'll be holding space. And I say that in a way of I know that it is less scary and less burdensome for me as an extroverted person that also doesn't that that, that makes their own schedule and doesn't have the burden of children that I I can be here. And for people like me, I think that it's extraordinarily important to be in those places and hold space to invite people that are more nervous and less willing to come in. So Dr. Agnew, how can veterinarians and technicians find their local, state, or national groups? I'm going to start with the easiest and work down to the hardest. So the national group in the United States is really easy. You Google American Veterinary Medical Association, A-V-M-A. You Google that, you go to their website. On their website, it's got a ton of information about how to become a member, but also all of the member benefits. And I recommend reading through those member benefits. I think, uh, Lauren, you were talking a few weeks ago about one of the member benefits that that they just had, which is the QPR training. Um, and that is something that the they added within the past couple of years um, because they determined that they needed to have more of a wellness focus. Um, so that's one of those that I don't think a lot of people know about because they don't read about their member benefits. So for the state association, I think that it's also generally pretty simple. It's going to be state name, veterinary medical association. So Georgia, veterinary medical association, Florida, veterinary medical association, Alabama, veterinary medical association. And you Google that, I'm pretty sure all of them also have a website which will go over how to become a member and then what the member benefits are. And then for your county or your local association, I'm going to be perfectly frank with you. That one I felt like was a lot harder. Yeah. A lot harder. I agree. Um, Yeah. 100%. I was in my county uh, for a very long time before I knew about it. The way that I found out about our local association is because my boss was an active member. And so when we were making my my contract, my contract included that he would pay for my AVMA benefits, my state association benefits, and my local association benefits. And I said, what local association? And he was like, oh, this is the local association. This is when they meet. This is where they meet, etc. And so I learned about it from him. So I think that learning about it from your boss is one of the really good ways um, if you are an associate. And if you're not, and if your boss doesn't know, if you're an owner, if you're new to the area, I think that it is A-OK to call up a few veterinary clinics in the area. I think that sometimes we think that that's super weird to, like, just call up another clinic and be like, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. I, I always just I, I feel weird doing that um, because you're talking to a receptionist. The receptionist is very used to answering clients and not you like other doctors um but just say hey i'm dr so-and-so i'm new to the area do we got do we have a local association what is it um do you know when they meet etc the other way to find out about your local association is to check your state association website because there are representatives 
on the state board from each each of the local associations. So if you go to the uh, state website for your state, it will likely have the name of the local association for your area, which may be really, really easy, like the county name, and then Veterinary Medical Association, or it may be a little bit more confusing where it's like central state or north state. And you're like, well, do I fall in this or do I fall in this other one? And it's a little bit confusing. But it will generally also have the board person that is associated with that local group listed on there. It'll have their name and you can just figure out who that is and contact them for more information. Can I tell you the story of how I found out about the Madison County VMA? Yes. Okay, so I was at a CE event. It was my first CE event that I had ever been to as a veterinarian, okay? So uh, when you first graduate, you don't have to get CE that, like, during the rest of that calendar year, okay? So it Mm -hmm. was like I had been in practice, like, maybe nine months at this point, okay? And uh, I was with my father-in-law at the Birmingham meeting here in Alabama, and he introduced me to a colleague who was also from Huntsville. And I was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And he said something, something about the local association. And I was like, but that's interesting. My father-in-law was telling me I need to get involved in it. But I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how to do that. I don't know anything about them. And I was like, so do you know? And instead of just being like, yeah, here's the information. This person was like, I'm tired of you young people making all these excuses. (laughs) <laughs> There's no reason for you not to know. And like he went on this like two or three minute tirade while me and my father-in-law were just standing there kind of staring at him. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so like, I'll just say the bridge troll or old codger approach to getting people involved is not a hundred percent helpful. <laughs> so like, if someone asks you, where does the local association meet? You are allowed to just be like, here is the information (laughs) and not be like kids these days. So I actually do have a goal for our local association as the secretary. And we've been doing a little bit of this. I actually have increased our membership by a hundred percent over last year. Yeah. Dr. Agnew. Dr. Agnew is like getting there, kicking ass and taking names. And part of that was, is our list was super out of date of the contact information. So um, we had a kind of quiet day one day and we just got on the phone and called all the clinics and said, who works there now? Are you a member? Do you want to be a member? This is how much dues are. Send your check this way. Um, And this is when we meet. And so we did that. um, And that really helped increase the membership. So you, I mean, Dr. Agnew, you've convinced me, like, I'm I'm going to get back into organized veterinary medicine. I will commit <laughs> to rejoining the Madison County VMA. So yeah. one thing that the other thing is, mm-hmm. and this is something that is really important, is with the joining the association. And I think a lot of people are really nervous of like, oh, they're going to be asked to like take on more roles. And like, right. yeah, you are. But guess what? Hmm. Kind of like other things, you're allowed to say no. That's right. That's right. Now that I have done a lot of personal work on boundary setting, now I'm just like, no, no, no to everything. So the only problem for me right now is, you know, the days that they meet uh, Mm -hmm. from now through the foreseeable future, literally the next several years on Tuesday nights, I will always be in class. So, So there's that problem, but otherwise... 
Well, so it's time for us to do our favorite thing for the week. And I think Dr. Agnew is going to join us for that. Yes, she (laughs) says yes. Okay. So, JJ, do you want to go first? Mine is, um, I guess, maybe a little bit weird, but I was uh, perusing Facebook, which is rare these days for me. But I had noticed that there's a a local restaurant that said that they were closing for Mondays to give their staff a day of rest just because they've been short staffed and they put in there, you know, they're, they're hiring, but they were doing that for their employees. And I, I, I almost shed a tear. I was just like, that is incredibly nice and incredibly amazing that they are doing that for their staff members. Because I mean, the restaurant situation, I mean, all over the place is kind of bad news bears, but in particular, you know, different places are, they're having to close the business earlier in the day because they just don't have the staff to run it. And the staff that's there, I can, you know, give an example of uh, recently I'd gone down to visit my dad and we had gone out to a restaurant and there wasn't a whole lot of people there, but the only employees were one working at the bar, one person who was playing the role of waiter, waitress, and uh, greeter, and one cook. That's all they had on staff. And there was probably, I don't know, seven to 10 people, like groups of people eating there. And they were doing a great job and they were keeping it together on four people. So I think it's really great that there are are places out there that do think of their employees and, and realize that they're giving a lot right now and to allow them to have another day of rest like that. I think that's very kind of them. And I wish more people were that way. That is good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that is nice, you know, and well, um, Dr. Agnew, how about you? This is very weird and it's about poop. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Let's do it. So, um, one of my, I, one of my dogs has had a um, autoimmune disorder that we haven't we haven't quite figured out exactly what's going on, but um, have been treating successfully for a couple of months now with um, a couple of different immunosuppressants, and um, have been getting things mostly under control. And she has been doing better for a while, but she still had diarrhea basically for. Two and a half months now, she's had some sort of soft stool. And yesterday, uh, I went out in the yard, and she had pooped a solid poop for the first time since (laughs) the beginning of April. My dog had pooped a solid poop, and I definitely took a picture of the solid poop and (laughs) sent it to my husband and said, look at this, solid poops for the first time ever and I realize that doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal um, because it's 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 only one of the things in a, a constellation of things that are going on with her. Um, but to me, it's a kind of an indication that she might actually get better from this. Um, and after losing another one of our dogs earlier this year, I wasn't really, I, I, unfortunately, I haven't been as hopeful about this one getting better as it seems like I can be. So she might get better. Well, I'm so so excited that she had a solid poop. Like, yeah. uh, I, I guarantee you that every single person listening to this podcast is on board and understands why that's mm-hmm. a positive. Like, yep. yep, we all yep. get it. Mm-hmm. 
Hooray for us. All the poops for the win. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, so, uh, okay. So my thing um, is school related. So in one of my classes, I have to create a semester long project that uh, traces human growth and development psychologically from infancy through death. And you have to have like an artistic element to this as well. Anyway, long story short, my professor had been like one of my favorite ones ever that anyone's ever turned in was uh, something of it was like a pre- presentation about a real person and they'd taken their life and uh, then analyzed it. And it was really good. And she kept saying like a famous person, you know, um, and so I'm thinking like it must be, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln or, you know, I don't know if just insert a famous person who you would mm-hmm. think a report would often be made about. And then she she pulled up the sample and the student had done their presentation on Dennis Rader, who is the BTK killer. And I was like, are you serious? I thought you were talking about George Washington or like JFK or like, I don't know, a famous person, not a serial killer. Anyway, okay, that's not the good part. The good part. Uh, so that's the backstory. Moving forward, I have to figure out what mine is about. And I was talking to my mom and I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I could do any of them about a serial killer, but that just seems like, ugh, like, you know, we don't need to, like, basically, I don't want to highlight those people. I don't think mm-hmm. serial killers are important. You know, I want to do something more positive. And then I thought about Michelle McNamara, who is a writer who, essentially wrote the book on finding the Golden State Killer. And unfortunately, she passed away before it was published. A lot of her main ways that she was trying to track him down ultimately did lead to them, you know, finding him. And anyway, so I get to do my topic on Michelle McNamara. So uh, in doing this, all of my research for my semester project has involved going back and listening to I'll Be Gone in the Dark again. (laughs) <laughs> uh, on my audiobook and then I bought the print copy and I've been rereading it and then also got to go back into the HBO series all the way through again you mm-hmm. know because science right <laughs> super important yeah. for research yes you so, definitely need to do all the research <laughs> all of it right so I've spent the whole past week I mean working on this presentation is a lot of work but it's been fun in a way, because I get to go back and revisit like one of my favorite authors and and go through all the stuff about her life and make it really positive. So that is my happy thing. That's Sweet. Awesome. Okay, guys. <laughs> well, if you have stories, questions, submissions for our advice column, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.